Amen. Thank you, Brother Ron. Good to see you all here tonight. How many of you are here? Are you okay? Good. Uh, we're glad to be here. We were in uh, Texas, and we found out in the middle of the night that our flight was canceled, and so we had to move some things around, and uh, we, we uh, were asked to preach for the, the church there, and we had a good time there, but uh, no place like home. We're very glad to be back and glad to be with you. I uh, want to say um, thank you for uh, uh, Pastor Sal preaching for us on Sunday and then Brother Weber on Sunday night, and I understand that both of them were a great blessing. And, and uh, so I hope that you availed yourself of those opportunities. Um, and tonight, uh, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to go to a couple places. Let's go to Acts chapter 26, and um, we're going to see in just a moment. But I want to see who does not have a handout that would like to have a handout. Does anyone not have one? I knew there's going to be a bunch of folks that didn't get them yet. Um, I want to remind you of what my job is, and when I do that, I remind myself of what my job is. My job at at, uh, Hope Baptist Church is the job of any pastor in any church, New Testament church. Uh, The job, thank you very much, sir. I have these, uh, somehow or other, I acquired some leopard print glasses. I don't know why, but I get criticized whenever I wear them. And uh, so I'm going to wear these dark ones, these very masculine ones. And, uh, and so I didn't even know they were leopard print until somebody pointed them out. Um, but that's, that's really not the point of the lesson, okay? The point of the lesson is not about me and my glasses. But uh, anyhow, but the, the, the job that I have as a pastor, and if you don't have a pastor, you need to get a pastor, um, the role of the pastor is biblical. It is, it is very clearly laid out. And the only reason why people don't like pastors is because they've met pastors. That's the only reason. Um, but, you know, just because there's a bad dad or mom does not mean that God changes his structure. Uh, the structure is the structure. And uh, I've been around, uh, you know, I've been around guys that say, I don't need a pastor. You know, I'm the patriarch of my home. And I understand there's, a, there's certainly a chain of command and authority there, but you've got you to think about it from this angle. A good pastor only wants to give you a good judgment seat of Christ. That's really what the pastor's job is. My job is to help you get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, so that's why the pastor is given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. My job is to help you be a better Christian. And that may or may not be something that your flesh is interested in. If your flesh is like mine, I'm kind of good where I am. But my spirit desires to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so you coming here tonight is a win for your spirit. Because what you've done is you've placed yourself in a position where your flesh is probably going to want to go to sleep. If you're like me, think about what am I going to eat after the service, right? All that kind of stuff. That's our flesh. It's normal. We know our flesh is going to do that. It does it every day, all day long. But we've taken some time and set it aside for the Spirit so that the Spirit can be conformed to the the image of Christ. That's what we want to do. And so my job is to help you in this church, and I'm telling me as much as I'm telling you, to facilitate the Christian life, to make it easier for you to live in the image of Christ. You may not be able to, to walk a thousand miles, but you can take one step. And so the purpose of tonight is not to fill time. This is something I've been praying about, something I've been uh, concerned about, I've told you about. I want to help you be a witness for Jesus Christ. Why? Because you can't be a Christian and not tell other people about Jesus. Now, you can be saved and not do that, but you can't be a Christian. Why? A Christian is consumed with Christ. And Christ was consumed with reconciling the world to himself. And how do I know that? Because he died in order to do it. He, that's what he wanted to do. Now, in our flesh, whenever we hear about people talking about witnessing, in our flesh, we know we're failures. We know we could all do better. We know that, that, that there's, there's a desire in there, but you know sometimes the fulfillment is not there. But Christian, I'm here, believer, I'm here to help you tonight to be a better witness. All right? And so that's why I've given you this handout. I want you to follow along. The Bible tells us that we should be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh us what? A reason of the 
hope that is in us. We should be ready to give an answer when someone asks us. Now, one of the best things you can do is to give your testimony. There are all kinds of different testimonies. There's testimonies of you know, Christian service. There's testimonies of discipleship, of answered prayer, of personal experiences that you've had with God and with other believers. And those are all wonderful and good. But the salvation testimony is the most important because it is what opens up all the other opportunities. It's what gives you all the other testimonies. But a lot of believers do not know how to properly present their own personal story. We use the term testimony. It's a biblical word. But, but we, we, we really, we're talking about our story. What's your story? So in the text that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 26, uh, we have here Paul using his salvation testimony to evangelize a king and his entourage. And we're going to use this narrative here as a valuable pattern to follow. Now, let me say, first of all, Paul gave us a pattern to follow, and he said that he was a pattern to follow over and over again. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he said, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, hold your place in Acts, if you would, and look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. 1 Timothy 1.16. Something that you need to get down is understanding the unique role that God gave the Apostle Paul. He gave him a specific task. The gospel of the grace of God was made known to Paul. And he gave the, the, the mystery of the church was revealed to Paul and many other things. And he is a very important figure. Now, he's not the most important figure in the Bible, but for those of us in the church, he is a very important figure. And so he says in 1 Timothy, look at verse number 16, chapter 1, verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Jesus Christ showed forth all long suffering in Paul. Why? Paul persecuted the church. Jesus said that when he persecuted, when Saul persecuted the church, he was persecuting him. He said Jesus Christ showed all long suffering. Why? For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So his personal testimony of salvation is the template, the model of how you and I are saved as well. And we find his personal testimony several times in Scripture. We're going to look in chapter 26 now of Acts. Here he is taken before this Herodian king named Agrippa, which uh, it was a, a client state of Rome that he was king of. Uh, and he was being judged of these quote-unquote crimes by these uh, Jews. And he's surrounded by this group of Agrippa's friends and colleagues. And they're kind of all like on a holiday type thing. They're all hanging out together. And they're like, hey, what do you got to do today, Agrippa? Well, I got to talk to this one guy. Well, bring him in. Let's talk. They're all just kind of enjoying themselves. And they're not, it, this is not a, a, a tribunal. This is not a courtroom. It's just, let's, let's talk to the guy that, uh, what do you have on the agenda today? And so here he is, he's standing before Agrippa in, in this uh, place, maybe on the seaside. And you can imagine a uh, beautiful day outside, and all of a sudden Paul is put on the spot. And we're going to see this method that Paul employed. And the first thing is he mentions who he was before he knew Christ. Who he was before he knew Christ. Look at chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. What a privilege it is when you have the microphone. You don't get that opportunity all the time. When people actually are listening to you. Have you ever, you ever wished and prayed and hoped for an opportunity? And all of a sudden, you know that it's prime time. 
Something's different about this conversation. You have an opportunity to say the truth. Okay, so here's Paul. He's ready to say it. Verse 2. I think, uh, then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. Every man give an answer. Any man that asketh you a reason of the hope. He said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Now, you could break this down if you want to. Look at the way that he treated him with respect. Um, he was, I don't think he was blowing smoke. He was being respectful and honoring a man in a position of leadership. He begins at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Now, what was the hope? Well, here he tells us in verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You see how he talks about how he was raised for the Pharisees. And of course, no doubt there were someone was there who was accusing him of, of trying to wreck the Jews' religion. And he's answering... And no doubt there, he's answering other people that are standing around listening to him, maybe some Jews. And so he kind of puts that thought, God should raise the dead. That's the reason why I got arrested, is what he's saying. Because I believe God could raise the dead. He's using multiple different things in this conversation. And then he says, I ver verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So notice, he's talking about what his life was like before Christ. Now, you notice that he mentions that he knew of Jesus. Now, you might think, I don't have much of a testimony, but even if you did not do what Paul did, even if you were raised in church, and I'm speaking to a lot of folks who were, who knew about Jesus and about the gospel before they ever got saved, you can find a corollary here in your relation. I want you to listen, because here, here's what I really believe. I believe, and I think you ought to believe this too, every one of us need to be able to give the gospel the only reason why you would be able to give the gospel is so that you would give the gospel. Now, that giving the gospel, I'm suggesting tonight, is a great way to do that is in the context of your personal story. Why? Everybody loves stories. Everybody loves stories. They love watching them. They love hearing them. They love uh, listening to people tell stories, Right? And, and some people are good at, the, good at it, some are not. What I'm suggesting is you ought to be ready to tell your story. Now, if you were to say, some of you right now, you're listening to me saying, I don't have a good testimony. That shows how much work you need to do in this area of personal testimony. A good testimony is not about you, it's about Jesus Christ. It's not about how bad you were before you met Christ. Notice there's nothing that they would consider that any Jew standing around listening, the ones that arrested Paul, they wouldn't consider anything that he did wrong. He said, look what he says. Look at verse number uh, five. Can you give me a, um, a, a good key word that would help every single person here in your before you met Christ? There's a key word in verse five. What do you think it is? Somebody said it. Starts with an R. Religion. This is before he met Christ. Here's his religion. And then look what he says. He said, all of these things that I did, I thought, in verse number nine, that I ought to do many things contrary. 
So in other words, he's saying, I was religious, and this is the way I thought when I was religious. Are you following me? Okay, so this is simple. Anyone that's saved can say, I remember before I got saved the way I thought. This is your testimony. Okay, this is not, this is not the gospel. This is you talking about why you needed the gospel. I thought, this is what I thought. And so this is what I did because of what I thought. I hope you're taking notes on this tonight. Because I'm saying, if I were to bring a mic down to you right now, (laughs) you know I might. What would you say about your testimony? What's your testimony? You know the reason why we don't witness? We don't want to. That's, I mean, that's the number one reason. We don't really want to. People say, well, I forgot. Why'd you forget? Because you don't want to. Oh, I want to. I just, no, no. If you really wanted to, you would. And, and I'm not getting on to you. Listen, don't get, don't get all mad and bitter. And, and hey, I've got the same flesh that you do. I could, I could say it this way. You know why I don't witness? Because I don't want to. And you know the reason why I don't? Is because... I've got other things that are more important to me. And the reason is because I'm not thinking about Jesus and how he's changed my life. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to buy, what I'm going to do. And so we have to think about this. We have to bring it back. So this is a corrective for all of us. Some of you, you may be already doing this on a regular basis, but for most of us, this is kind of like, hey, wake up. Wake up, right? Now, that's number one. And by the way, if you can't get mad, have somebody make you mad, you're probably never going to change. Somebody's got to kind of poke you a little bit. And you ought to get, and I'm, hey, I'm willing to be the bad guy. I just came from Texas. I don't give a rip. Okay? Here we go. <laughs> Verse number 12. Okay, so, so look what he's talking about, what he did, how he thought, and, and what his actions were because of how he thought in verse 10 and 11. He said, I was exceedingly mad against them. When the scripture uses mad, what word do we use today that's what the scripture word for mad? Nuts. What's another one? Crazy. I was exceedingly mad against them. He said, I was crazy. I was off the hook. I was off the chain. I was a crazy person. Right? That's what he's saying. Now, I don't know if this is ringing a bell for you before you met Christ. Were you a crazy? Now, maybe you were, maybe your kids are raised in church like I wasn't. Well, what was it that you were infatuated with? What, what is it that you had to have? You know, a lot of kids, they have a story of because they stole something or they lied or, you know, they pulled a, a fire alarm in the, in the supermarket And all the police came and woke them up. They were like, wow, this is real. Right? That's, it's what did you think, how did you think, and how did your thoughts force you or or make you act a certain way? This is before you get saved, okay? This is before you met Christ. Now, verse 12. Second part is how he received Christ. Verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Notice the the personal pronouns he's saying, the singular, thou, thee. Verse 15, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now, Paul said he was, he was one born out of due time. And you can see that in, even in, in, uh, in, in verse number 13, he saw a light from heaven. Now, that God can do whatever he wants, but I've, I know very few people who could say, I saw a light from heaven that knocked me on the ground, and that's why I got saved. 
But that's exactly what Paul said. But notice, how many of you heard God speaking to you before you got saved? Or when you got saved? Anybody? Raise your hand if you heard it. Okay, you know what that means? Now let me say it another way, just in case some of you are like, I'm not sure. How many of you felt conviction from the Holy Spirit before you got saved? Okay, that's the voice of God. The Spirit of God is the Word of God. And He was speaking to you. Did anyone hear an audible voice? Some people claim that they do. I can't say whether they did or didn't. All I, know, all I have is the Bible. And if, if you heard a voice that said you need to read the Bible, more power to that voice. Thank God for it. If you saw a light that said, I need to find Jesus, and it made you want to find Jesus, thank God for it. But everybody's testimony is different. But what you did hear, if you are saved, what you did hear is God speaking to you in some way through a message, through a gospel tract, through Billy Graham on the TV, through a song, through something that said God is real, God is real, he's alive right now, and he's after your carcass. That's what, that's what Paul's saying, Saul. Saul's saying, or Paul is saying, this is the way I was before. He was different, he was one born out of due time, but Jesus, and Jesus openly met him and spoke to him. But see, Jesus is still speaking to people today, and you can claim the same in your personal testimony. Okay, so first of all, this is how Paul uh, was before he met Christ. Secondly, how he actually received Christ. And notice he says, he talks about turning from darkness to light in verse number 18, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And, the, and, and he mentions in a roundabout way the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's already said that God should raise the dead. He's already mentioned that. And he's talking about how you receive forgiveness. So look, look at uh, the next one. Uh, number three, changes that took place after he received Christ. Changes that took place. Verse 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I, I was obedient to what God said. But showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. There's something that changed in my life as a result of meeting Christ. And look at the result, verse 21, for these, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. What did they say? That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. All right, that's a very, very simple template that the Apostle Paul uses, and it's the same template that you and I can use. In Acts chapter 26, notice he gives this to Agrippa, and notice what happens. He says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I wish, I wish you were almost and altogether saved. And everybody else here. I don't know what happened with Agrippa. I don't know if he ended up getting saved. Probably not. But, but notice... We look at Agrippa sometimes and we think in verse 28, we think, well, he was just being sarcastic. Maybe I'm the only one that does. Maybe, you know, I think, well, Agrippa's saying that because he had, you know, yeah, you almost persuaded me, Paul. Yeah, you're, you're really good. But I don't know if that's the case. And see, the, the, the truth is we'll, we'll never really know until we get to heaven what happened in Agrippa's heart. You see, our job is to give the testimony of salvation, to give the testimony of the gospel, how it changed our lives and how it can change their lives. Our job is not to make them, to, to force them to have a decision. And honestly, I'm very uncomfortable. Anytime, uh, I, I'm, I'm very, very, I try to be careful. Why? This truth, I, I could force you to do it. Especially if I'm a stranger and I'm standing in front of you. You want to get saved right now? Do you want to get saved right now? Or do you want to die and burn and go to hell? I'm just not comfortable doing that. Maybe you are. 
Why? I just know that social niceties and etiquette sometimes come in and people will do things because they are embarrassed to, to say no to you. They're not really doing it. But the truth is, I don't know. And you have to use your wisdom and discernment how far you push with that thing. All, all Paul said was, here's what happened to me, Agrippa. And he says, do you want that to happen to you? I know you already believe. And that's as far as he went. And then Agrippa said, well, you almost persuaded me. And I want to encourage you. This is the template that Paul uses as he's witnessing to people. And, and, and you might think, well, it doesn't work. It absolutely worked. It absolutely is a win every time you give the gospel. We want to see people saved. Of course we do. And we should not be so cynical that we say, well, people don't get saved anymore. Well, then why are you giving the gospel out? You're not Calvinistic, are you? People can get saved in Toledo, Ohio. How do I know that? Because they're getting saved. And my job is to give them the gospel in the clearest possible way. But you can go to one extreme or the other. Either, okay, now I can, I've got such an airtight argument that you can't say no. Can I remind you? That's nothing more than salesmanship. A salesman doesn't care how you feel or what you live, how you live your life or what happens to you when you die. All they care about is getting your name on the piece of paper. A soul winner, we've got to be more careful than that. Here's a clue. If you never hear another thing about that person at all, even though you see them multiple times and you never see any interest whatsoever in God, I think I'd be real careful thinking that your high-pressure salesman's tactics led them to Jesus Christ. You've got to be careful. I understand there's discernment to be had there. You don't know exactly what's going on in the heart. God's going to give you discernment. But you want to think about this from this angle. Have I done everything I can as I'm being spirit-led to bring that person to a point of decision? I cannot force that person to make a decision, but I also don't want to act like I don't care. I do care if you make that decision. And I want to bring you to that point. So this is a great pattern for us to follow. I want to give you a couple of notes about the personal testimonies here before we move on. And then I'm going to, I'm going to give you uh, a little bit more uh, before we close. Note, number one, some people do not have a salvation testimony of any kind. It's not that they don't know how to share their testimony. It's that they do not have a testimony. So if you're listening to me and you're thinking, I don't know about this. Consider that, you're not, that you might not be saved. Now, if you were raised in church and, and, and you prayed a prayer when you were very young, can Jesus save people that are young? Yes, he can. Absolutely he can, and he does. But he only saves people who ask him to save them and who ask them because they know they're not saved. And they know that they're not saved because they're sinners. Those are the only people that Jesus saves. He does not save anybody who prays a prayer. Just anybody who prays a prayer. He, pray, he saves people who want to be saved. And they know that he's the Savior. And they know that they're sinners. So th- that's why here at Hope, I don't think we have this scourge. But some churches have a scourge of, uh, of kids who are pressured into praying a prayer. Uh, we, we can go the other extreme, too. I think I've told you the story about my son, Ben, and how Ben, uh, he came to the teacher and he said, uh, I want to get saved after the Sunday school lesson. And the teacher said, well, you need to talk with your dad about this. And he said, I tried talking to my dad. He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I was so concerned that I wasn't pressuring him that I wasn't listening to him when he said he wanted to be saved. I kept pushing him off, you know, well, one of these days, we'll get to it. He doesn't care about me being saved. So, hey, I think I'd rather have that problem than the other one. You know, where a kid, you know, I, I said that little thing, whatever. Man, I, you couldn't convince me that God didn't speak to me when I was 12 years of age. I know that he did. And I know what he said. And he said, if I died, I was going to hell. Technically, he said, if, I, if, if the rapture were to take place, I would be left behind which I knew meant going to hell because I knew all about the gospel. And so 
by the time I was 12 years of age, there's no question. Nope, it didn't matter what anybody else thought or what. It wasn't about praying a prayer for me. I knew. I knew. And, you know, aren't you glad for a personal God, a personal Savior who can personally speak to you? And you know what's amazing? We all know what that's like, but it's very personal for each of us. It's unique. Isn't that great? So some people don't have one, and that's a, head, that's a giveaway that you're not saved. Number two, testimonies vary from one believer to another. Everybody's valuable. How do I know that? Jesus died for everyone. You're valuable. Everybody has a story. No testimony is, quote-unquote, better than other people. Now, now, let's be honest. If you had to watch C-SPAN or watch a murder mystery, which would you choose? Listen, would you rather read, a, you know, a detective novel or would you rather read, you know, a technical novel? Now, some of you nerds, I know where you are, right? A technical, technical book, a textbook. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, when, so when we hear these testimonies, it can be really exciting. It can, it can be exhilarating to hear from darkness to light because the contrast is so real. It is so distinct. They were lost, they were obviously externally wicked, and then now they're obviously different. And those are testimonies of salvation. We thank God for them. But be careful that you don't make that salvation. Because I, may I remind you that what that's simply doing is saying, I, from the external, I turned over a new leaf. The people who go to you know, the biggest loser camp, what do they say? The same thing. They used to weigh 400 pounds, and then one day they saw their child, and they said, I want to be around to play with my grandkids, and something snapped inside, and now they've changed their habits. They no longer eat what they used to eat. They no longer just sit around. They're exercising. They're dieting. They're being careful with what they eat. Do you see what I'm saying? They've made these changes, and sometimes if we're not careful, we think about salvation as that. I know something changed in my life. I'm saying this for the benefit of those of us raised in church. For, for some of us, for many of us, our greatest sins occurred after we got saved. So what does that mean? Well, you can only be saved if you really, really know that you are the worst sinner on the planet. And, and the only way for you to get saved is to be a really bad person and then change everything. No, unsaved people do that all the time. There are unsaved people who go to prison... And then when they come out, they are a different person. They're not saved. But they no longer do what they used to do. Explain that. It's not because of Jesus. You know, the Bible does talk about the man who cleans up his life. He has an evil spirit in him. And he cleans up his life. He sweeps his house clean. Gets rid of the evil spirit. You know that evil spirit that he takes seven other devils and comes back in? You know what kind of devils those are? Probably not the old devils. They're probably new ones, different ones, proud devils, good, upstanding citizen, religious devils. We got to be careful about this thing. You and I are not saved because our life changed. We are saved because we believed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he said that we were justified. Now, you may feel different. Your life may have changed. But how many of you realized, you hear stories about people who were drunkards before they got saved. I'm sorry, alcoholics. (laughs) you got to be careful what you say. You were a drunk before you got saved. When you got saved, you didn't lose the desire to drink. Some people do. Explain that. You see, it's not me and my feelings and my desires and all of that 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 equal salvation. It is what Jesus said in his word, what he said, and I believed what he said. That means you're saved. Now, you get to determine in your heart whether or not you really believe it. But it's it's not a matter. And I, I don't mean to upset your apple cart. And I'm not saying that some of you, you were, I mean, it was darkness to light. It was obvious. But you've got to recognize that not everybody feels that way. So are they, did they even need to be saved? They weren't even doing drugs. They, they weren't on a Harley, which is the mark of Cain. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do, be on a motorcycle. <laughs> they, they weren't smoking. 
So do they even need to be saved? Do you follow what I'm saying? You see, we think about external sins. But hey, second, third generation Christians, you know the worst sins? Jesus said, it's the law says, don't, look, uh, don't commit adultery. I say, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her where? In your heart. Okay, so here's a clue. Second generation, third generation, 17th generation Christians, you know, um, thank God for the heritage that we have, but you needed to be saved as much as anybody. Why? Your heart is wicked. So when you bring in your salvation, we're talking about your salvation. You don't have to talk about all the wicked sins that you did externally. Talk about your heart. What was your heart like? Amen? Okay. Now, this is too much preaching because I don't see anybody taking notes. Because I'm, I'm telling you, this is what we've got to be able to do as believers. We've got to be ready to give a testimony. And you don't all get 40 minutes like I do. You've got to be able to give your testimony in one minute. All right, where are we? Testimonies vary. So your story is just as important as anyone else's story, but some are better at presenting their testimony. Can I tell you why some people are better at it? Some people are better because they're just good storytellers. They remember the details. They remember the adjectives, the feelings, and that helps when you're telling stories. But some people are better at telling their story because they tell it all the time. If you haven't told your story, you either don't know what to say, and so you just say something random like, you need to come to church. Well, coming to church is good, but a lot of people go to church and they never get saved. Which church? I mean, first you've got to make a determination of which church. And if it's not a gospel-preaching church, then you're, it doesn't matter if you go to church. So it's not that we shouldn't say come to church, but, but guys, I think if we're not careful, we're stuck in what people have called the attractional model. The goal of the, of, the, of the believers in a church is to get people into a building so they can hear the gospel. Why? Well, I don't know the gospel. The pastor knows the gospel. Well, can the pastor be saved for you? No. You ought to know the gospel yourself. I want people to come to the building. I want it to be packed to the gills. It'd be awesome. But, but people coming to a building doesn't save them. Well, they'll hear the gospel there. Let me ask you this. Did you get saved in a church service? A lot of people do. Most people don't. You know what you need to be able to do? You're ready in a moment's notice to give the gospel in the form of a story. Whose story? Your story. So that's why I'm going through this, because I want you to be ready to do it. Because next week, I'm going to put the mic. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put the mic anywhere. I'm not going to put it. I'll put it here, Okay. So don't think less of your story. You are dismissing, if you're not careful, you're dismissing the grace of God in your life. Don't be dismissive of God's grace. Don't think your story doesn't matter. It takes work to prepare. Now, let's talk about writing your personal testimony. So a salvation testimony has to be based on the gospel. What is the gospel? Anybody remember? 1 Corinthians 15. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this is the gospel. He says, The gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 15, because I don't know how I, I, I know I heard this, but so many times, 1 Corinthians 15, in my life, I, I just, you know, randomly, just kind of this. Cloud, fog, Jesus, the cross, God, you know, really almost like that, those blots that you see, ink blots. I'm not really quite sure. That, here, I'll make it very simple. Well, God will make it very simple. First Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Now, you're worried about, i got to say the right thing. I, gotta, I don't know if I'm saying the right thing. Okay, he said, this is the gospel I preached unto you, which also ye have received... And wherein you stand. Here it is. By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What did, what did he die for? For our sins. Verse, verse uh, 4. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel. You know, the devil will, will, will keep your, you chasing your tail 
for years and years and years because you, quote, don't know enough and you don't really know. If you're saved, you know. There is the gospel. It is that simple. And don't let religion, don't let any church or, you know, very well-spoken preacher or Christian intimidate you. That's it. That's the gospel. Listen, teenager, listen, don't, don't tell me. I don't know. That's what, that's the gospel right there. And if you were to read those verses, let me explain the gospel to you and read those verses. That is just as much the gospel as the most dynamic preacher you've ever heard in your life. You're not saved because of the way it's told you. You're saved because of the facts. Jesus Christ died for sins. Whose sins? Our sins. And he was buried. He went into the ground. He was really dead. And then he came back to life. It's the greatest story ever told. It's amazing. And it's very simple. It's just that we have to keep that at the forefront of our mind. Well, I just want to see people, you know, change. And I want, yeah, listen, we all want to see uh, Christians, you know, but our job as a church is to help facilitate people that are lost and blinded to turn from darkness to light to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and then to begin to grow little by little by little. You know what we ought to have? We ought to have more people getting saved than people joining from other churches. I'm going to back that train up one time more. We ought to have more people getting saved than people joining from other churches. Why? They need to figure out stuff at their own church. Now, if they're not in a gospel-preaching church, they're not in a Bible-believing church, okay, there's some exceptions to that. But how many realize sometimes people leave and they oughtn't to leave? I'm going to dig in here just a little bit, guys, because I know this is not how we all think. We've got to be careful that we don't think, well, praise God, our church is growing, when everybody's joining from other churches and they're already saved. We don't, it's not that we don't want to push them away. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. But we've got to be careful to, not to think that a full building means we're accomplishing the Great Commission. We already have seen what a full building means. Sometimes it means that not everybody's on the same page. Amen. Am I, is this too hard for Wednesday night? Okay, I, listen, I'm not coming down on you because I'm right there with you. I mean, this is the same way I think. It's cool when we see, but I, I had a lady come from another church here a couple, I don't know, a couple months ago, and she said, Pastor Marshall, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't imitate her. But the, the way she talked about it was this. I'm over at this church, and she said, I just felt something different here inside. That's because of me. And I said, well, have you talked to your pastor? He doesn't have time for me. Inside, I can think, well, I have time for you. Some guys aren't good pastors, but I am. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think that's true. I said, I think he probably, he, your pastor loves you, and he wants, that's, they don't want me there. There's no friends. I, st- I started talking with her. I'm arguing with her. I'm sorry. I'm the worst salesman in the world. I told her, I said, I'll tell you what to do. You go back to your church and you talk to your pastor, and you do what he tells you to do. And if you do that, and you pray, and you come back and say, I've done what I can, I believe God is moving me on, I said, then we'll talk. You know what came out after a while, her conversation, what she said? She's looking for a friend group. She said, I'm looking for friends. Now, we all want friends. But may I remind you, that is not the purpose of the church. That is not the primary purpose of the church. Now, I want to be a friend, and I think we need to increase our abilities in times of fellowship and activity. I, really, I have that in my heart. I want to do that. But, but I want to remind you that this is not a social gathering, primarily. This is a place that we worship Jesus Christ, and we carry his gospel to the world. And we investigate and we apply that gospel to our lives. And it changes how we interact with our spouses, with our kids, with our fellow believers, and with the lost world. That's what the gospel does. We have to be careful that we don't get in our mind that the whole goal is just to get a bunch of people who like us and like our church. And let's get this place filled up. We ought to go out there and find people who don't like God. Who don't like church. And give them the gospel. Now... You're never going to get them to come to church. They're not going to get saved if they don't like God and so forth. But maybe that's where they start. 
And maybe the people that you think will never get saved would actually make some of the best Christians that you've ever seen. The Apostle Paul, that's where he started. He did a lot of things against Jesus. Hardcore people, right? Okay, let's, let's get into this here. So that's the gospel. Salvation testimony has to be founded on the biblical gospel. And I, that's simple as can be. Now, personal salvation includes several things. This is, this is simple, and it helps go from, uh, from even an atheist, agnostic, whatever, all the way to being saved. Number one, recognizing there is a God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Number two, admitting you have sinned against his holiness. So you're first trying to get somebody to understand that there is a God and that we, I, you, have sinned against him. Now, if you're uncomfortable talking about this, and I've been with people that will say things like, well, you know, I've done some stuff and you've done some stuff. and not really very good, right? I mean, yeah, you know, be careful about that. You could be selling God's holiness short. Not that you're trying to demean them, but why are you trying to skip past that point? I'll tell you why. Most people would want to kind of get past that because it's uncomfortable. and It makes you feel like, you know, maybe I'm going to offend him. But I'm telling you, if a person does not believe that he or she is a sinner, they cannot get saved. They can't. You, you cannot bypass that Jesus died for our sins. So, it, you know, just, just add Jesus to your life. He's not going to join your life. I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to make gospel difficult. I've been in places where it's like you can't even get saved because there's like a hundred different things you have to do. That's not what I'm talking about here. But it's a major point. Jesus Christ died on a cross for what? For sin. Whose sin? Yours. And you may feel uncomfortable about that. You may, I mean, you might, because here's what the devil will want you to do. Either be too hardcore with that or to be like this buddy-buddy, like, oh, it's okay, though. I mean, we all, like, have done bad stuff. No. You're not talking about sinning against one another. We're talking about sinning against a holy God. And they have to remember, that's why Jesus had to die such a horrible death on the cross, because sin is that bad. Sin is bad. I don't think you close it out with that. I know some guys will say, I preached seven days in a revival, never gave the, you know, just let them marinate in their sin. Be careful that, that, that you're, you're not just using, you're becoming a lord over someone. All right? Be careful with that. But you also need to be careful the other way. Jesus is not just like a make-a-wish foundation where he's just waiting to help out people who can't afford Disney World. Jesus, Jesus had to die on the cross. Nobody dies on a cross to pay for your vacation. He died on the cross for your sin. Because it was the only way, okay? So that's number, that's number two, admitting you've sinned against his holiness. And then number three, believing that he became a man in the form of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you from the penalty of sin and rose from the dead three days later. Now, that's a fairly long sentence. But notice, you have to believe that there is a God, that you and I have sinned, and specifically this person I'm talking to, has sinned against the holiness of God, but that God became a man and paid for those sins on the cross. You have to believe that. You cannot be saved if you don't believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, dying for the sins that you committed against him. You have to believe that. You can't just believe that Jesus is, you know, commissioned by God, or, you know, he was a God, or, you know, he was God in the flesh. And he died on the cross. So what's the beauty of this is when, if you push hard or you allow the Holy Spirit to convict on the sin part, what a beautiful, glorious thing it is when you explain that God, the holy God that was sinned against, became a man to pay for those same sins. I mean, it's unprecedented in human history. <laughs> There's no one else like it. Because everybody, everybody will die for people that they like. But Christ died for us when we were his enemies. So this is what you have to believe. And John chapter 3 talks about this. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
He that believeth not, John chapter 3, is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We talk about receiving Jesus. And that is important, but receiving him for what? You have to have that first understanding of sin and then believing that he paid for those sins. He's able to make us the sons of God. And then four, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, maybe a little bit of, uh, of liberty here with, with some of our traditional held beliefs. I believe that when a person believes in his heart, he is saved. That's what it says. Thou believest in thine heart that God hath risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But the confession is more for me to hear what you say. So let, let, some people say, if you don't confess God before men, he won't confess before his Father in heaven. He's not talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. In other words, what that means is, unless a person says those words, he cannot be saved. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. But what we, what we are doing is we're helping someone time stamp when they believed on Jesus Christ by confessing with their mouth. Okay, now I know some of you are going to, th- I want you to think about this. It maybe kind of rattles the boat a little bit, but, but it's intentional. Here's what I would say. What if you prayed in your mind? Does that count? What if you're, what if you're deaf and you can't speak? See what I'm saying? Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Well, what you're doing is because of the fact that you are saved, you confess with your mouth. Sometimes we talk about altar calls, and, those, and, and we should do that. But I mean, you could spend an hour explaining the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then someone comes down, and, the, and you take them back and you explain for another hour. Could it possibly be that a person sat there and listened to a message and believed that that was true in his heart before he ever came down the altar? Absolutely. Because it's predicated on the fact what Jesus did. I believe what he did. It's not based on what I did. It's based on what he did. And, and the belief produces the confession. He says in verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession, no, does not produce salvation. Confession is made unto salvation. In other words, I'm confessing that I am saved. You follow what I'm saying? It's not you must confess with your mouth in order to be saved. No, it's the heart that believes unto righteousness. And then because of that, the mouth will confess to the salvation that God has given. For the scripture saith, and how do I know that? Because look at this. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I encourage people to pray so that they have a time stamp of calling on the Lord. And again, I'm not trying to say that, that, that you don't need to pray in order to be saved. You do. But it is a combination of what's happening in the heart and your agreement with that. And the conversation or the confession is what I hear after the fact. And it helps me to know. But I can call upon the name of the Lord and you might never hear me. Conf- confessing. So confessing that with your mouth in a prayer to God. This is basically what we're saying. Number one, recognizing. Number two, admitting. Number three, believing. The emphasis believing. Number four, confessing that with your mouth in a prayer to God. Now, let's look at three elements here. We're going to roll on through this because I think I'll finish this before we close tonight. Uh, On the back of your handout, there's three. And I I, I included a bunch of extra space. And the reason is my job as a pastor, some of you pray, some of you say, I want to be a help, I want to be a support. No, 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 no. I'm here to support you. And, and, And if you care about that job, here's what I'm asking you to do. Be prepared to give your testimony. I want you to be able to give your testimony. You ought to be able to write it down at some point and, be, and, and practice it and verbalize it so that when God gives you an opportunity, which you won't believe how many opportunities he gives you if you're ready and if you're praying for him, God will give him. All right, here we go. Number one, before I knew Christ, I lived and thought this way. Okay, so here's where you share your spiritual background. What you thought about God, what you thought about the Bible. Maybe you were raised in a, in a loving Christian home. 
Maybe you were raised in a violent, you know, alcoholic's home, depressed, lonely, crazy, whatever, whatever it is. Listen, you're not trying to sweeten or fatten up your resume. This is who you are, what happened to you. And, and if you're saved, then you have a testimony. All right? Number two, how you received Christ. Here's where you share that plan of salvation. Recognizing, admitting, believing, confessing. This is where you put that part right there. And you see how, how Paul did it? Paul did it very naturally. He said, and this is what happened to me, and, and this is what I believe now. And this is what I'm doing. But, you, but here's the key. You want to you share what you actually did to become a Christian. Because if, you, if it's like, and now I go to church all the time. They're thinking, well, I, I should go to church, but I don't want to go to church. But I have to go to church in order to be, I just can't do it. What did you do to become a Christian? And don't think, well, I, I've heard other people say, no, no, no. What did you do to become a Christian? Write that down. What is it? As, as You remember what it was like. And if you're like me, whenever I go back and think about that, God starts plucking on the heartstrings. Reminded me of how wonderful he is. What kind of thoughts went through your mind? What, what, how did you decide to, to, to accept Christ as your Savior? How, how did you decide to call on him? All right? Because you want to make sure that this is something that they can do for themselves. Make sure it's something that they can do for themselves. If it's something that only you can do, then they're going to look at it and say, well, I'm the exception because I could never do that. You want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. This is something that I did. So if you're going to say, you, you might not say, well, and I cried for three days, and I finally realized. Well, maybe you can include that. This is, I mean, this was a part of my story. I was miserable. I was whatever. But there came a point when I realized all I had to do to become a child of God was say it. You wanted to meet them at the same place so that when you're telling them it's not... And, you know, they're thinking, well, that's not my story. That's not my family. That's not what I grew up in. How could I possibly? No, the gospel is what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you want to bring them to a point where they uh, can do the same thing that you did. And if you did something special that nobody else has done, you're not saved. If, you're, if your story is about how, how different and unique you are, you're not saved. The only way a person gets saved Praise God is through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's how all of us, we all meet at the foot of the cross. Actually, we meet at the foot of the, um, at the grave, empty grave. Now, number two, number three. After I received Christ, these are the changes that took place. So here's how my outlook on God changed, how my outlook on the Bible changed. This is what, you know, that affected my behavior in these ways. And make it concise, make it clear. Now, if you became a Christian as a child, the emphasis should be on the changes that Christ has made in your life, possibly compared to what it would have been like without knowing him, or what it was like in, it has been like in times when you weren't close to him. You could talk about it from that angle. But I really think if you were to stop and, and, and just consider what the Holy Spirit says to you on a regular basis... And then consider what that would be like, what your life would be like if he didn't convict you. If he wasn't there reminding you. How has God changed you? Um, and what is, he, what is he continually working on? What is he continually working on? You can see how the Apostle Paul mentions now what he does and how he, how he changed uh, his actions. Now let me give you some final things here to consider when presenting your testimony. Number one, be prepared. Be prepared. Know your story. Know your story. And consider what great things that God has done in order to save you. Here's, here's something to consider. If you got saved at a young age, you should know your family history, your family heritage. Go back to the first person in your lineage that got saved and, and, and map out the story. What was different? I can go back and think about my dad and how he got saved at the age of 20. And I know that story like the back of my hand. He talks about how the Holy Spirit convicted him, that he was lost and on his way to hell, and how he went around looking for someone to help lead him to Christ, and nobody knew. People would say, uh, when he came to the altar, somebody said, 
thank God for saving you. But he didn't understand the gospel. It wasn't until he sat down across the desk from Dr. Dallas Billington and he began to tell him the story about how uh, trusting in Jesus Christ was a, a, a decision that he had to make by faith. And that when he turned on the light switch, he didn't know anybody that worked at the Akron Power and Light Company, but he just trusted that when he flipped that switch, they were down there working and the, and the light would come on. That's what faith is like. And he said, now you take this verse, for God so loved the world. He said, you take that and put in your name, for God so loved John Marshall that he gave his only begotten son. And that day he trusted in Christ. And I could go and tell my dad's story and I could, I could say, what would my life have been like if my dad hadn't gotten saved? What would it be like if your grandpa hadn't gotten saved? You can go back and look at that lineage. And that's a blessing. But you know what? I don't know what it is. I know enough about my heart. I'm just as wicked as any person that was ever on drugs or ever a drunkard. I know my heart. And so it's easy for me when I'm talking to somebody to tell them about what I... I mean, people think, well, you're a preacher or you're a Christian. Oh, give me a break. All men are liars. All of us have the same flesh. And I know this. The guy who got caught doing the crime and is sitting in prison... And the guy who never got caught because he didn't think about it or didn't do it but thought about doing it, the only difference is on the external. They're the same in their heart. That's what Jesus said. So it's easy for me to know how great of a sinner I am. And if you're, if you're raised in church, I'm, I'm talking a lot about because we've got a lot, of, a lot of folks that are raised in church. Just be careful that you don't try to look at the externals. Look at the, look at the heart when you're giving your testimony. Who are you in the heart? Number, number uh, we're on still be prepared. Proper preparation is important. Organize your points. Write out your statements. Rehearse your delivery. Number two, make it personal. What has Christ done for you? Personal pronouns. Number three, be flexible. I mentioned this a moment ago. You ought to be able to give your testimony in one minute. I'm going to try it. You ready? Just start it. I was raised in a Christian home. I was in church every single day that the doors were open. I was always there. In fact, my, my parents were in ministry, so I would sing and do all that. And I remember when I was three years old, I made a profession of faith. It was what we call a profession of faith. I said the words. I prayed a prayer that someone asked me to, to do. But it, it wasn't something I was doing from my heart. And it wasn't until I was 12 years of age that one night God said to me that if you were to die, you would go to hell. I knew it was true. I got on my knees that night. And I, I saw in my mind's eye Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. And I knew that he died all my life. I knew that story. But it wasn't until that night I recognized it was my sins that he died for. And I, and I called upon Jesus Christ. Because what the amazing thing about Jesus, he didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He came back from the grave. God, he was God in the flesh. He arose. My trust is in the God who overcame the grave. My sins have been paid for by the God who loved me enough to die for me. And that's why I know I'm going to heaven. Now, we'll see. It was a, just over a minute. Now, I don't normally do that. But you could, you could do a minute. You could do three minutes. You could do five minutes. Maybe you've got a half an hour. Let me give you one thought. When you're talking to someone, give the conversation a little room to breathe. Because if you don't, you might sound like you're rehearsing it. And it's okay when you start. But it's something that really happened to you. Do you have to rehearse what happened on your vacation? No. You just shoot from the hip. If you know Jesus Christ, you know what happened to you. You just got to think about it. And if you'll spend a little time, it'll come more naturally. But be flexible. Be ready. Short. I mean, if you, if you had to say, in one sentence, Jesus Christ died for sinners. There's the gospel. But you want to be able to bring your testimony into it, so you've got to be flexible. Number three, number four, keep Jesus Christ central. A good testimony is always highlighting what Christ has done. Number five, make sure people understand that you came to a point of decision. They might think they're Christians because they believe in God or they go to church or, or they're baptized or whatever. And sometimes religious people can say the same things you're saying. They have God in their life. Maybe they have a Bible. Maybe they've gone to church all their lives. 
Well, has there ever been a point where you knew that you were on your way to hell, and then after that point, you knew that you were on your way to heaven? Point of decision. So that's something to, to keep in mind when you're giving that. Make sure that you bring them to a point of decision. And then lastly, always pray for opportunities to share your testimony. Always pray for opportunities to share your testimony. Now, kids going to Christian school, this is a tough one because you're around Christian people all the time. Listen, those of us that, you know, if you work in a ministry, you have to intentionally go out of your way to find lost people. You have to, because otherwise you'll never run into them. And then, before you know it, lost people have cooties. They're weird. They're different. And all these people with tattoos, can they even be saved? Right? Got to be careful of that. Living in our Christian subculture, we've got to intentionally go out Hey, you have the Christian subculture, but, but part of being a Christian is going out to a lost world. And so we've got to be careful with that. Young people, you've got to be careful with that. Christian, do your part to magnify Jesus Christ through your testimony. It's your story, and give it the value that it has. And if you think, I'm not really sure if I have a story, man, you can't beat the gospel. What a story that God loves you so much that he died for you. And he rose from the dead, proving that he can pay for your sins. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. I, I, I know, I've been in church, like I said, all until I was 12. Heard the story over and over and over again. And I kind of just was riding the coattails of what other people were doing. Maybe you're not saved. But Christian, if you are saved, my challenge to you is this. If you really mean it, that you really want to serve God, you really want to do something, you don't have to be so super smart and know all the verses and know everything. You'll get there as you move forward. But what you need to know for sure is what Jesus did for you. And if you know that, God can use that to be a great blessing to the unsaved.